Welcome to Pocketry Presents, the podcast for emerging and aspiring poets. I'm Indrani Pereira, the founder of Pocketry, the home of unheard voices. I'm coming to you from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I acknowledge their elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge that this land is stolen and that sovereignty has never been ceded. In this episode of Pocketry Presents, I'm interviewing an established poet about their experience in getting their poetry published. Joining me today is Emily Collier. Emily lives in Australia on Wurundjeri country where she writes poetry, plays and prose. Her writing has appeared most recently in Booth, USA, the Ekphrastic Review, USA, the Blue Nib Island, Text, Mianjin, Cordite, Rabbit and Australian Poetry Journal. And in 2021, she guest edited Taste Review Journal in India. She is the author of the illustrated poetry book, Your Looking Eyes. Her award-winning plays include Contest, Dream Home and The Good Girl, which has had multiple international productions. She is currently a PhD candidate at RMIT researching feminist creative practice. Welcome, Emily. I'm glad you could join me today. Thank you. It's so cool to be here. So, Emily, who published your first poem? Was it the local library, a school magazine, a literary journal? This was such a cool question because it took me a while to kind of dig back and remember. Um, Not that it's actually that long ago, but so I was looking back through some old records of mine, like an old writing CV, actually, and I had this strange entry from 1997 that just says, Voice Works, published in poetry section. And I, but I had, don't have a copy of the VoiceWorks magazine. I even Googled it to try and find VoiceWorks from 1997 and couldn't. So I had something published there. Because I started life more as a playwright than a poet, in fact, I, cause then I was studying at RMIT in the late 90s, so I must have sent a few things off and I got that published. But then I was really focused on playwriting and then I kind of found my way back to spoken word and poetry. So my first published thing that I can hold in my hands and remember was in this um, journal called Page 17 that doesn't exist anymore, but it was edited by a great person called Tiggy Johnson. And I think that was my first official published poem and it's called On Those Days. Yeah, so that was my first thing in print that I was really excited to, to see. And that was in 2009. So in a way, you know, for someone as old as me, it's not that long ago that I got seriously into writing and wanting to publish poetry because I kind of potted around the spoken word scene for a while before I even thought about publishing Wow, okay, that's fantastic. And it's nice to have something in print, isn't it, to hold and, you know, yeah. hold to all this time. I'm a bit intrigued about that voice works poem that's out there somewhere. I know. I know. I know. Like, why well, I didn't bother to say what the title of the thing was. It's just like, oh, I got published in the poetry section. It's like, Kalia, write these things down. Yeah. Um, going back to the one from page 17 which you do have a copy of still what was it about it's really personal it's called on those days and it's kind of a litany of of the days where life just gets a little bit too much for, for a variety of reasons whether they're internal or external and then it sort of ends in this kind of like a physical coming to of the persona of the poet kind of instructing the reader of a few simple things they might do to ease their emotional pain, basically. Yeah. There's something very genuine and um, earnest in a way about it, which I sort of both love and am maybe slightly not self-conscious about, but I can look back and go, oh, yeah, that feels very, very sort of first poem-y in, mm-hmm. its, in its essence. What, what is it like looking at that poem now? Is it a bit sort of like, oh, that was a young me or something like that? A little. I mean, you know, let's like I wasn't like a teenager when I wrote it. You know, I was a full adult, but I guess it was the young poetic voice of me. And it was that sort of immediacy. I can see that it's um, 
there's a very sort of, there's my natural poetic voice and I haven't done a lot of crafting or kind of deliberate decision-making I can see around stanzas or, you know, enjambment or any of those sort of technical things which I've learned about later. It's really just the ideas emerged on the page. The stanzas have a very natural flow. Some are three lines, some are one, some are four. Some of the lines are quite long. So, again, quite prose-like, but then they'll be undercut by something more poetic. So it's like you can see this sort of intuitive poetic voice emerging on the page without a whole lot of crafting. But I guess what is there is the essence of then what made me excited about the form coming to it, as I said, a little bit later. And after many years as a playwright, I think the immediacy and the um, agility of the poetic form was really appealing to me after labouring of big structured pieces for a long time. So I can see that and feel that in the poem. Mm. I was going to ask you about the form, but from the sounds of it, it was a free verse. Yeah, totally free. And is that different to how you write now or are you still writing free verse? I think I still mostly write in free verse. I I do like to experiment occasionally with form. Like I've got a poem coming out soon that's a, a sestina, so I kind of quite enjoy now grappling with some of those more formal constraints and seeing what they do and which ideas slot into those. So I've become probably more conscious of what form I'm using. But still mostly free verse, although I'm, probably again more conscious now of am I using couplets or you know what's what, what's my stanza structure uh, and then also how it looks on the page I'm quite sort of attendant to that whether I'm being quite sort of experimental or you know or sort of doing more of a kind of a formally concise looking poem yeah and and I'm interested in in the interactions of, of those more sort of traditional formal structures with how they then have morphed over time so something like a sonnet for example I don't know that I would I would enjoy sitting down and going, okay, I am writing a sonnet, but I'm also aware more that some of the some of the ways in which I write are part of a lineage, which for me might be, say, from the sonnet through to the song, through to the kind of elegaic sort of forms, and I'm doing my own version, which is part of that, but isn't adhering too strictly to the rules, but is well aware of its place in the legacy. Yeah. So you're sort of drawing on those forms but making them your own? Would that be a fair sort of summary? Yeah, and occasionally deliberately, but I suppose maybe what I'm trying to say not very well is I think that those forms kind of have just come through us who have read a lot over many years and you might go, oh, what is this thing that I've written? Oh, I see that probably lives in that world that, you know, again, that I've inherited through, through my education, through my reading, through what's come to me, through what I've sought out. Yeah, and sometimes you deliberately try and push at the edges of that and sometimes I think it's more unconscious. Mm, yeah. yeah. Throwing back to that first poem, well, that, that one in um, Pageworks, can you remember how it felt to have your work accepted? Amazing. It's really exciting. It's a beautiful moment. Like I, I'm completely uncynical about that experience. Every time I get anything accepted, I'm filled with joy that someone else read that and thought, I, I like this. I want to share this with our readership, with some other people that we know, or this speaks to the kind of work we're interested in. I think it's tricky because I think it's not the only form of validation. And I think it's really important to honour other forms of validation, such as, you know, sharing with your peers or at a spoken word event or just for yourself. But on but that moment of acceptance, I still find exciting. And especially when it's a journal that maybe you've loved for a while and, and get something accepted into. Yeah. Yeah, so, so my memory of the first time was, was really elated and, and pleased and, and validated that I felt accepted into that community of people working in this form. 
And what do you know now that you've got more poetry published and you've been doing it for a while? What do you know now that you wish you'd known back then? Oh, I'm not sure. I think, I think some of those questions around um, that I was just saying before around the very different ways that work can be validated. I think it's important for emerging and starting out writers to, to, to have some goals. I think that's great to sort of, you know, so for me to go, okay, I would like to get published in these particular journals or, or just publish full stop and to work diligently towards that and also to be aware of the many different ways that poetry can be in the world and can be part of a conversation with other poets. So, yeah, I think I would just gently remind my earlier poet self of that. I'm far from the, the most prolifically published poet in the world and there are many forums where I still think, oh, I'm still aiming towards some of the journals that I would like to get published in and I'm aware that that's a really good goal, to have those goals, to push your own writing and the prestige of, of those journals is real. And there's another part of me, the maybe more political part of me, that's also like, well, also prestige is a construct and definitely aim for those things and feel proud if you get them but not at the expense of feeling proud just for carrying on working over many years in a diligent way. You know, because sometimes your style just isn't the style of some of the journals that you love the most. And for me, that maybe that's a good lesson too. You learn to read a bit where your voice actually sits and not to try and make your voice into something that it's not just so it gets published in this particular journal or don't beat yourself up that it, that it doesn't. Maybe it just doesn't fit or it might take another couple of years. In the meantime, you've got all these other great publications or, or opportunities. I hope that all that makes sense. It does. And it's interesting that you talk about not changing your voice to suit a publication that you admire. And I wonder, is it possible that you admire those publications and the things that they're publishing because they are so different from your own voice? I think that's a really great point. Indrani, that's really, yes, that's really wise. I think sometimes you, you, there's a pleasure in reading something that's a bit not you, which is why we like, you know, I love reading collections by poets. I'm like, oh, I'd never write like that. Oh my God, I'm so envious or just so in awe, but it's so far from me, but that's exciting and inspiring. And you might take a little bit of flavor from it just in terms of, oh, you could do that with language. Maybe a bit like I was saying earlier about sometimes just wanting to be in other art forms being in other poetic styles does that too because you're like, I'm not trying to emulate that or be like that, but I can, it can help fill me up. It can help sort of give me more as a reader and, and then as a writer. Yeah. And I wondered too about the inevitable rejection that comes when you're wanting to get your work published. Do you have any ways that you deal with that? It's really hard. Like I'll be very honest with you, I got a rejection last night that stung a little bit only because I'd, I'd sent to this journal last year and had got rejected, but with a very, with a very encouraging, oh, this isn't right for us, but send us your next ones. And so I did. And this one was just, no, these aren't right for us. So it felt like a step backwards almost. So, so, you know, honestly, the process of handling rejection is for me always definitely feel, feel the feelings. It's, you know, you feel disappointed. Sometimes I feel kind of ashamed. Oh, I can't believe I sent them that if they didn't like it. And then like, oh, well, I tried my hardest. It was the best I could do at that time with that poem. So that's okay. I can look at that poem. Can I repurpose it a little? Can I send it out again? Or does it just feel like it needs to rest for a while? Am I working on a new one that feels like it's building on what that one couldn't quite do? That's good. That's, that's, that shows progress and, and, and um, staying with it. So yes, for me that it's always deal with the emotions, really feel them. I think they're always very real. And then 
the next steps are fairly kind of pragmatic. Okay. Does that one feel ready to send right out? Because often, you know, I've have, I've had a poem that's been rejected by two or three places and I haven't changed it and it's got accepted in that same form by a different journal. So it was just a matter of taste. Mm. But sometimes it's like, oh, no, the poem itself isn't quite there. It's not doing what the poem promises. So I need to try and work on that and then resend it once it's kind of working better as a little poem machine. I think this just takes time to learn which, which way to go. That's what I was about to ask is how do you know when to hit it straight back out again or when to sort of rework it? So that's just kind of over time you're developing that gut instinct that tells you, oh, actually, this one needs a bit more work once you've felt all the feelings or, no, this one can just go out again. Yeah, I think so. I think partly gut instinct and partly um, it's like that filter of another person's eyes on it even if it's a bit painful, can help you go, oh, actually, yes, I can, I can still feel what I was trying to do in that poem, but it's not there yet. And this editor has just reminded me that it's not there yet because they've looked at it quickly and gone, nope. So if I really believe in the core of what's there, I can then take the time to try and actually do it better. Maybe, maybe push it in a more surprising way because, again, maybe the idea is solid, but the execution is a little pedestrian. Mm. So... Yeah, and, and also reading lots of other poetry. Again, like, you know, you read poets that you love, you read, you just go, oh, that's what makes a poem sing. And as you mentioned in my blog, I just guest edited a poetry journal and reading lots of poems coming in helps with that too because you're like, oh, I can feel where that poet was. This one definitely is ready to go and this one, oh, it's not quite there, but I can totally see where they were heading with it. So once you've been on the other side of it, you can sort of maybe act as that editor for yourself a little bit. Mm. Yeah, so, you know, get yourself a guest editing job on a journal. (laughs) (laughs) Put that on your bucket list of things that you want to do. I do volunteer reading for Overland, you know, um, so you can always, if you do want to experience reading other people's works, you can, I think there's, there's quite often opportunities around to volunteer read for journals. And that's a great way to just get a bit of a, bit of a taste for what people are doing and how it's working and where it doesn't. Really valuable. Yeah. Yeah, wow, that's fabulous. I had no idea you could do that. So how do you find out about those kind of opportunities? That that was responding to a call out from Overland. I think they sort of periodically put them out there, but I mean, I guess a lot of journals possibly do or, um, yeah, that was just, I think, of kind of being a bit tapped into the, to the scene, whether it's on Facebook pages or, you know, newsletters and things and keeping an eye out for, for when those opportunities open up. Yeah, just sort of being, being a bit in tune. Mm, that's fantastic. Mm. That's a great suggestion for poets out there who are keen to see the other side because, as you say, that would be really valuable. If you sort of have the experience of reading to publish something, then you know what editors are kind of looking for because you've done it yourself. Mm. Yeah. And I'm also wondering, too, with sending your work out to various journals for publication, I'm not quite sure how to phrase it, but do you find that um, now with some experience you can match your poems to a publication better. So you can kind of go, oh, this publication should definitely go to this journal because it's going to fit their style or the theme or what have you. Yeah, I think I slowly have become better at that over time. And in a way, almost like a like a sort of a, this is a terrible analogy, but it came to my mind like a heat-seeking missile. I'll kind of look around. And the wonderful thing about, the way we live now in the online world is you can look at look at a whole bunch of journals and go, oh, okay, I can see what they're doing. I'm actually quite a natural fit for that. 
or one you might go, oh, I'm not quite, but if I crafted this one, it might sort of, I'm interested in what they're doing and I could sort of try and um, massage what I'm doing to, to, to their sort of um, aesthetic a little better. So, yes, I think I'm slowly better at it, but also sometimes I think always as writers we're a bit blind to our own, well, I am. You can you can still think you've done something, you send it off, and then it comes back and you go, oh, yeah, that, that really isn't <laughs> like what they do at all, but I thought I was doing it. So it's never, I think it's always learning and slowly, slowly getting better better visibility about your own aesthetic is for me what I think happens slowly over time. Visibility about your own aesthetic, do you mean that um, people begin to hear your voice and to know your your poetic style and so then they become interested in publishing it? Is that what you mean? Uh, no, well, no, that is true, but I actually meant for myself, like actually as a writer to, to learn to stand outside my own work and go, this is actually what I'm doing. Yeah, so it's more the ability to do that for myself. Okay, and so... Mm-hmm. I. Are you thinking there's sort of an overarching sort of aesthetic to your work that is evolving or that you're creating? Yeah, I think so. Again, I wish I had a better, clearer answer for you on this because I think it's, I don't want to pin it down Mm. to to sort of be reductive about it. But I suppose overall, I would say I probably sit more in the lyric poet category in that I tend to write things that, that sort of have a fairly humanistic kind of voice to them that 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 sort of tell a story even if it's a story in a poetic form occasionally I'll write something that I feel is a lot more kind of experimental and just about words more about the words on a page and experimenting with what those letters are doing in conversation with each other but other poets do that more than me and do that better than me I aspire to that and I'm trying to get better at that whereas my natural inclination like that first poem I was talking about is it flows out more as an emotional kind of response to the world. And then I try and craft that. So it's like my natural inclination and aesthetic and then use craft to improve that or push it slightly in different directions, depending on my personal goals or like you said, the journals that I'm aiming for. Mm. And I think my final question, unless there was anything else you wanted to add to those most excellent answers you've already given do you have any advice for aspiring poets who are keen to get their work published? Read a lot of journals if you can. Um, again, luckily we live in a time where you can read a fair bit of stuff online. You know, I mean, in Australia, the first publication that comes to mind is that amazing free and open access is Cordite. Like that is just such a treasure trove. It's incredible. I think it's just one of the most important things we have in this country. So Cordite it's a free online journal and they, they publish a couple of times a year as well as having a book series, but the online journal is always free to access. And there's usually about 30 or 40, 40 poems in every issue. So it's just a brilliant way to get your head around a whole lot of different, what different poets are doing for free. And then if you can afford it, I think it is worth, you know, either subscribing to for short periods if you can, or, or getting back issues of, of some other journals, you know, whether those are kind of local Australian ones or some of the overseas ones, so you can just start to get a sense of what's around. So I guess what I'm trying to say, it's important to read what journals are publishing if you want to get published so that you can sort of have that sense. Also, don't get obsessed with that. Keep doing what you're doing. Refine what you're doing. Workshop that with, you know, with your peers or in spoken word events until you feel like, actually, this work, I feel proud of it. I feel it's just the best that I can do right now. So it's that, that combination of being aware of what's going on in the sector or the industry and then, sticking to your guns and working on what you're doing and making that as alive and as full and as exciting as it can be to you 
and then just sending work out, just, you know, getting quite professional about that, learning how to format a poem so that, I mean, you can format it however you like, but send it in a form that, you know, can be uploaded easily. Always have a couple of little biogs of yourself ready to go so that you can just send them out um, when they come back, send them out again and just get good at that sort of administrative side of it because it might, it takes a lot of volume, I think. You know, if you want to get published, you'll probably need to send out maybe 10 times more than what will actually get accepted. Yeah, so just accepting that that's part of the reality and, and doing that and trying to detach some of the emotion from that side of it and keep the emotion for the poetry and put your kind of professional hat on for the actual sending out part of it. That's really sound advice and especially that piece of advice, you know, for every poem that gets published, there's at least 10 that have been rejected. So, you know, the volume, keep, keep going, keep at it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that is one of the wonderful things about poetry, unlike, you know, people who work in those longer forms like novels and plays where you sort of only get one shot with that piece. With poetry, you can you can be your own work in progress. You can have, you know, five or 10 or 15 poems on the go and, and a few out in the world. And then it, so you, the turnaround can be a little faster, which can be great. And also, as you would know, going to poetry readings, and that's a great way to test a work and give it a life, even if it doesn't get published or it may also get published. Mm. And one thing that I've noticed is that over time you build a back catalogue. So you have a whole lot of poems that are sitting there that you can kind of revisit and reshape and they may not have worked then, but, you know, they could work now to send somewhere. Yeah, that time thing again. Yes, you, you come back to it. You've matured a little. The poem's matured a little. It just needs a little tweak and then it can. Yeah, absolutely. They have fairly long shelf lives, I think, poems in a way. They can they can sit and bubble and, and still be relevant quite quite some time later. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the beautiful thing about poetry, isn't it? Because of the, of the I guess it's short format and it's I guess the intensity of emotion that you can convey and the, the imagery, it can be still quite relevant, you know, down the track it doesn't seem to have an expiry date or a use by date on it. Yeah, I mean, your, your, your sort of evolution or style as a writer might have moved on, but you can still maybe pull something from what that essence was. And as I said, I think sometimes surprisingly you can look back and go, actually, that, there's something lovely in that, in that earlier, maybe slightly more naive work or the more raw work. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Emily, and sharing your creative process and your experiences in getting published. It has been fabulous to hear your wisdom and insights, and thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with all our listeners. It's been my pleasure. It's been an awesome conversation. I just loved it. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you'd like to read some of Emily's work, you can check out her website, www.betweenthecracks.net, or you can find her on socials at Emily Collier. And to find out more about Pocketry, the home of unheard voices, visit www.pocketry.com.au and happy writing.